Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. I thought I would start with a little personal update for us this morning. And um, as some of you may recall from a, a sermon that I preached back in December during, during our uh, Mothers of Jesus series, I shared with you a little bit about our journey of trying to find a house, trying to buy a house, and, uh, and the crazy journey that that has been. As, as some of you know, the real estate market is quite crazy right now, and so um, there was a lot of challenges. And so just want to thank you for your prayers around that. So, some of you, you know, came up to me with different leads or ideas or recommendations, and um, of course, we just really appreciate all of that. But the update is that just a few weeks ago, we had an offer accepted uh, on a home in Haverhill, and so we are very excited about that. And we're feeling very, very grateful and very blessed, especially in light of this market right now. And so, again, thank you for, for praying into that. This, this home is, you know, it's everything that we need and, and more. And, and so we're, we're very grateful. Uh, we close at the end of March, which um, feels longer and longer away as time drags on here. But that's, that's what we agreed on. And, and we hope to get in there uh, shortly after Easter. But... Pretty soon, I'll be in, in the club. I'll be in the homeowners club, like many of you who have gone before. And I'll be uh, snow blowing and mowing the grass and uh, taking care of things, um, taking care of leaky pipes and things that break down and, and all the things. So th- those are the challenges that many of you in the room are, are well acquainted with. But there's also lots to be excited for. Um, and so we're looking forward to this, this new thing for us. Well, I wanted to share that both as a personal update, but also to set us up, to set us up for our sermon this morning. And uh, because my wife, Laura, and I, and, and our family, we, we're entering this whole new reality, this whole new experience. Uh, I haven't ever had a garage. I haven't ever paid homeowners insurance or property tax or... I haven't had trees to take care of or or grass or anything. You know, we haven't had a a place to call our own that we could paint or make changes to. Uh, This is our first home. This is the first place that we can really make ours. And so it feels not just like a new season or a new chapter, you know, that we sort of talk about. It feels like a whole new reality, a whole new experience of life that, that awaits us. And as I said, the, we're still a little ways out from the finish line where we're, we're going to close and, and sign on the line and get the keys and, and, and all of that. But even now, we feel like we're beginning to sort of taste it a little bit more, only very, in very minor ways. But we're shopping for homeowner's insurance. We're sorting through our junk, which, believe it or not, is a lot of junk at our relatively young ages, uh, we're, we're, you know, getting our packing boxes together, you know, all, all the things, just little signs, little tastes of, of what's coming up for us. Well, in some similar way, we're, as we look at, uh, in a new series at the Gospel of Matthew, in a similar way, when Jesus came on the scene, when he began his ministry, there was a whole new reality that he came to announce and to demonstrate 
and to inaugurate in his life and in his ministry. A whole new experience of God. A whole new set of expectations for people of faith and for the world looking on. And as we'll see as we, as we get into this series in the Gospel of Matthew, we'll, we'll see that this new reality is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God, the reign of God that Jesus came to both preach and announce and also demonstrate in his ministry and in his work. And so this kingdom he came to inaugurate, to set in motion, to begin, to break into this this world. And so in the ministry of Jesus that we will soon see, as we see in our scriptures, and now through the work of the Spirit, Among us, we see signs, we get a taste, we get a a glimpse of this this kingdom that is coming. And so, as we begin this series, uh, and specifically as we look at Matthew 4 this morning, I want us to see this invitation that we have, is that the kingdom has come near, follow the king. The kingdom has come near, follow the king. Let us pray before we get into the word. Lord, we thank you for your kingdom, your reign, where you have your will and your way. And we thank you that you've called us into that. You've invited us. And now, Lord, we get to extend that. Help us, God, to be faithful to that and to respond well to you, Lord, in this season. Help us to know the next steps that you have for us. And Lord, now as we look at your word, uh, we pray you bless this time and just uh, speak to us as you need to. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Matthew is a familiar book for some, but maybe not all. Matthew is the first book of our New Testament. It's, it's one of the four gospels that we have. And gospel just really means good news. And so, so Matthew's gospel is the good news of the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the work uh, of Jesus Christ. And there's a little bit of uncertainty about the authorship of, of this book. Uh, like, like other books in the New Testament, the author isn't explicitly named in the text. And uh, the, the kind of names of books of the Bible as we know them now were, were added later by church fathers. Uh, but a lot of scholars, a lot of really smart people do suggest that Matthew's a good, a good choice. Matthew, the disciple of Jesus is a good choice as, as the author. And he seems a decent choice because Matthew is a, is a tax collector, which was sort of a despised role in, in that time, to be quite honest. Uh, tax collectors were, were felt to be kind of in cahoots with the Roman Empire. And so there was, they were looked on with some scorn. But Matthew is a tax collector, so he was literate. He also probably had a good working knowledge of, of Greek, which is what this, this gospel is originally written in. And so uh, so he seems a decent choice. So there is this bit of uncertainty, but what we do feel confident about is that uh, the author is a Jewish Christian with a Jewish background, steeped in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament, and he also seems to be writing to a, a predominantly Jewish audience. And there's different signs of that and clues of that in the text. But he is steeped in the Old Testament. And not only that, he's very interested in weaving those texts, all of that background, all the prophecy 
into his account of Jesus to show that this Messiah, this Jesus, fulfills our hopes and our longings in our Old Testament scripture. So I want to see three things this morning as we look at Matthew 4. First, that this king, King Jesus, fulfills prophecy. Secondly, this king calls for repentance. And then third, this king invites obedience. So first, this king fulfills prophecy. We pick up in verse 12. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Right off the bat here, we, we see this reference to John. This, this is a reference to John the Baptist, uh, the, the relative of Jesus, the forerunner of Jesus. He who is called to go before and make way, make way for the Lord Jesus. In Luke uh, chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, we're told that John the Baptist had been imprisoned. He was in prison. John was, John was an outspoken character. He kind of said what he needed to say, and he didn't always care how it landed. And so one of the things that he said was he called out this guy, Herod. Herod Antipas, he's, he's one of the Roman kind of governors in Galilee in this region. And, and this guy supposedly kind of shared their Jewish faith. But John the Baptist calls him out, calls out some of his evil deeds, his wickedness, his poor life choices, and as a result, he is arrested and imprisoned and then later executed. And so Jesus here, he may have returned to Galilee because pressure was building. Pressure was mounting, right? John had been arrested. And early on, Jesus' own ministry, his own movement was sort of closely tied and overlapping with John's. Or it could have also been that John's imprisonment was a signal. Maybe this was a signal to Jesus that now is the time. Now is the time to take this thing public, as it were. So we continue verses 13 through 16. It says, Jesus went first to Nazareth, and then he left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And this fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. According to Luke 4.16 and Matthew 2.23 and elsewhere, we, we know that Jesus had been raised in Nazareth, this town, this backwater, insignificant town that's mentioned here. But Jesus may have quickly moved on from Nazareth because elsewhere we see that he wasn't received well. He's actually run out of town by some of the people there. His own town, his own turf, he's run out of there. He may have also just desired a more populated place to launch this thing. You know, a, a little busier place to, to launch his public ministry. But regardless of his motives, uh, Matthew is intentionally bringing attention to this prophetic fulfillment that we have in Jesus Christ. And so he quotes Isaiah 9 here in verses 15 and 16 as we have. And so throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, we, we have several prophetic visions or images of this, this Messiah, this hope for Messiah, this one who was believed would be sent from God 
and who would restore to Israel their fortunes and their land and their prominence and restore their people. And these were messianic prophecies. And so Matthew is very well familiar with these, and he intentionally weaves them into his gospel and makes these connections with the Christ, with the Messiah. Matthew, uh, of, of all the gospel writers, Matthew seems most interested in this. For example, we have t- in, in the book of Matthew, we have 10 fulfillment formulas, what scholars call fulfillment formulas, which, uh, which we see in verse 14, where it'll, Matthew will say something like, this was fulfilled, this fulfilled what God said through the prophet, in this case, Isaiah. So there's 10 of these. So it just gives you this picture that he's weaving this into his account. And he even points this out down to the fine details. Because that, that Jesus would launch his public ministry in Galilee, it's, it, it, it's, it seems to be fulfillment of this promise that we have in Isaiah 9.1, where it says that he, that God, will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee's... An interesting place. If you might recall from our series in Amos that we just wrapped up, Galilee is in that northern region, what had been the northern kingdom of Israel. At the time of Jesus, Galilee is a mixed population. It's Jews, it's Gentiles. But Galilee was the first to experience, in that region, the first to experience the judgment of God for their sin that we see detailed in the book of Amos. And yet, they're the first to see the glory. They're the first to see the glory of the Messiah who launches his ministry there. And so Galilee is an interesting choice. It's a backwater place, kind of insignificant. But God was very intentional. My point with all this is, is just that it's critical to remember that Jesus didn't just fall out of nowhere. It's important to see and, and appreciate the, the, the preparation, the fulfillment, the process that we have and that we see in the Old Testament. Because this helps us to appreciate who we have in the person of Jesus. At the risk of uh, hopefully not losing too many of you with this example, I just recently developed this, this interest in the UFC. If you don't know the UFC, the UFC is the ultimate fighting championship. It's a mixed martial arts competition. And uh, now, uh, up front, I just want to say that there's lots of other things that you could do that would probably be more edifying and encouraging to you than watching uh, men and women well at each other in a ring. Um, but nonetheless, there is lots of things that are compelling to me about the UFC. And one of the things that I appreciate, maybe some of you uh, will, is that whenever I watch a fight, which really means whenever a fight pops up on my Facebook feed and I watch a clip of it, highlight reel, I'm just always impressed by the conditioning, the training necessary here. Because oftentimes in some of these fights, you know, a couple, uh, a couple guys or a couple gals, they're, they're, they're locked Locked up to each other, pushing and, and pulling and, and, and trying to escape holds and trying to block punches while they're pinned underneath somebody. 
I mean, you just feel the, the, the intensity of it. And for, for the toughest ones, for the ones who just stick out the punishment, this can go on for minutes and multiple rounds. And there's other moments where that you just see the art at work in ducking punches and, and throwing punches and timing and cadence and all of that. And it's just an art. And it's very impressive. It's very intense. Well, in the UFC, they don't just take Joe Schmo from the street and throw him in the ring. Right? If, if that was the case, people would die. I, I mean, that would be cruel and unusual punishment. You, you can't do that. But these fighters, they train, they prepare for years, months, for one moment, for one opportunity that could advance them in their career or could just leave them wounded, quite literally. But the point is that preparation is critical. It's not an afterthought. And so the point is that God was every bit involved in the preparation of his people, sending prophets, filling them with longings and hopes for a Messiah. And this Jesus, this Savior of the world, was the plan of God. Not just a snap decision. And so Matthew is helping us see in this text that this king fulfills prophecy. And that's important to help us appreciate who we have in Jesus. But secondly, this king calls for repentance. This king calls for repentance. So so after seeing some of this prophetic fulfillment, getting a little picture of this, we now look at Jesus' message. What did he say? Well, like I said uh, in our opening example of our experience with a finding a new home, this whole new rally, this whole new life experience, Jesus came to preach a whole new reality. In verse 17, we pick up, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven, or, or as it's referred to in most of the other gospels, the kingdom of God This is the centerpiece. This is the focus of his whole message, his whole ministry. And it's interesting, Matthew prefers to use heaven here, which is probably a reflection of his own Jewish background, his own in in the Jewish audience to which he was writing, because, because he preferred to avoid using the actual name of God. Because for the Jews, the, the name itself carried weight. And so you'll see Matthew use heaven. But kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, these are synonymous. These are the same thing. There's lots of uh, Bible translations that we have, and, and some of them say, will say in this text that the kingdom is at hand or the kingdom is near. But I prefer that the kingdom has come near for clarity. In other words, the kingdom is not just about to come. It's not a, a few years out. Jesus is saying the kingdom has come near in me and in my ministry. It has broken into this world. In the, the Greek, the, the verb used here is in the, the perfect tense. Some of you may be grammar nerds or know your English grammar way better than me. I, I like to joke that I, I learned most of my English grammar in Greek class uh, as I learned just the nuts and bolts of language. Uh, but the perfect tense suggests a completed action with ongoing results. So it's happened, and it continues to have result in time. And so in Jesus, 
the kingdom has come. The, the kingdom has broken in. He has inaugurated. He has be, begun this kingdom. But one of the things that scholars help us to see, which is super helpful to understand our experience in this world, is that the kingdom is already, but not yet. Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom. It has broken into this world in his ministry, in his death, and in his resurrection. But we know that it won't come in its fullness until the end of the age. And that's a time that just remains a mystery to us. And yet now we live in the taste. We see the signs. We get the glimpse. We get the taste of the kingdom now in the in-between. And that's where we find ourselves today. So what is the kingdom? This is what Jesus came to preach, came to demonstrate, came to show us. Well, without being too reductionistic, without being too simplistic, the kingdom is where God has his will and his way. It's where he reigns. It's anywhere that the life of heaven finds expression in our experience, in our lives, in our hearts, in our world, in our circumstances. It's, Jesus said it's when the sick are healed. It's it's when those who lack are now experiencing abundance. It's where those who are demonized are delivered and set free. It's where, it's where the hungry are fed. It's where injustice is replaced by God's justice. It's when relationships are restored and reconciled and made right. And it's where people turn from a life of sin and repent and turn to Christ. These are the... These are things of the kingdom. This is the taste of the kingdom that we have in this world. But what do we see in this text is the only proper response, according to Jesus, to this kingdom that we have. It's repentance. It's repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What is repentance as we continue to just ask questions of the text? For Jesus, this was, this was a Hebrew understanding. This was a, a, a change of direction. You've, you've seen me do this before, where you're headed this way, rebellion, a, a, a life of sin, a life of poor choices, and it's a change of direction. It's this way, towards God, towards life, towards his law and his word. So this is what Jesus has in mind. But another nuance is it's also a change of thinking. It's a change of thought, of, of mind, of, of, of how you perceive and how you think and how you make decisions. And so it's all of that. It's, it's all of those things. This is what Jesus is calling them to. But repentance is not just a one-time thing. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time, and you might appreciate that. I think of repentance like routine car maintenance. It's like going in to get an oil change on your car every few thousand miles. Because that, by doing that, it help, you help the car run well. Right? And so in our own lives, repentance helps us experience the life of the kingdom and experience the king all the more as we come to God with our faults, as we confess sin, and as we walk in the light. Regularly turning back to God, renewing our thinking, and inviting him into our lives. And so for some of us, this, this could mean turning from sexual sin. Turning from addiction. Turning from self-reliance. Turning from pride. Turning from fear. It looks different for some of us, but the object remains the same. 
turning towards God. We turn towards God and towards the kind of life and the kind of ethics that he offers us in this book. And so this is repentance. Just one, one final word on, on this is, is that repentance, this thing that Jesus is calling us to, this is not meant to be walked alone. When we look at the Gospels, Jesus doesn't just create a client base of coaches, of mentees, and then says, you repent, I'll meet with you tomorrow, you repent then, I'll meet with you tomorrow. You no, he creates a community. He creates a family. And so I think from that, we see that we are to work out our repentance with others, with trusted friends, with mentors, with a small group, disciplers, whoever it may be. And so whether we've been following Jesus for a long time or whether you haven't even yet, you're here this morning, you haven't even made a commitment of faith. Jesus calls us all to repentance today and in the future. Lastly, this king invites obedience. This king invites obedience. We pick up in verse 18 as we look at the response of the disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And so, as I said, Jesus doesn't create a base of clients. He creates a family. He creates a community. He creates a group, a small group, as a matter of fact. And he invites people into his ministry. He invites them to learn from him, to be trained by him, to replicate him. And what kind of response do we see here? Obedience. They drop their nets, which means they left their livelihood, their work. And they followed him. This probably wasn't the first time that these disciples had encountered Jesus. We do have some indication from the Gospel of John that some of these guys had originally been disciples of John the Baptist, who we mentioned earlier. And so they, maybe they had already encountered Jesus. They had maybe tasted something of his ministry or his, his life or his example. But this moment... Jesus takes it to a whole new level. And now they enter full-time discipleship, if you will. And they leave their nets and all that they knew to follow him. And so this season, uh, this season of Jesus' earthly ministry, this was an extraordinary time. That, you know, as a result, these disciples probably left family. They left their nets. They left their livelihood. They were fishermen. So the routines changed. Their priorities changed. Their schedule changed. But Jesus had this greater calling for them. I will make you fishers of men. I will send you out to fish for people. And so we learn from their example of obedience. Because like us in a life of faith, they didn't know where this thing was going. They had some faith, but they didn't know where this would end up or where this would take them like the rest of us. But they followed and they listened and they obeyed. And this was an extraordinary time when Jesus was on the earth. But we're in a new age now, in a lot of ways. We're, we're in an age of the Spirit of God. 
And so we now follow Jesus. We hear that word all the time. I'm a follower of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, we follow Jesus by following the Spirit of God and the Word of God. These gifts that he has given to us. And we do that wherever we go. Work, school, community, home, community organizations, whatever. You know, it's all fair game. It's all an opportunity to follow Jesus. It is interesting, though, that, that a few of these guys, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were called at work. They were fishing. They were mending their nets. Matthew, the tax collector, he's sitting in his tax collector's booth there at his office when Jesus calls him. And so for them, following Jesus did actually mean leaving their work for a period of time. Some of you out there would probably like to leave your work to follow Jesus if you had the opportunity. But the reality now is that we follow Jesus precisely where he's called us in our work, in our families, in our day-to-day lives. And so the possibilities are are different, but the obedience remains the same. So in Matthew 4, uh, verses 12 to 22, we see that Jesus fulfills prophecy. The fulfillment of all their longings, all their hopes. This King Jesus calls for repentance, a, a turning, a changing of mind, a turning towards God. And then he invites obedience. He says, come follow me to you wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play. And so the kingdom has come near. And so we follow the king. As we close this morning, I think this idea of Jesus calling these disciples as they're at work is is, is kind of informative for us. It it helps put flesh on this for us, doesn't it? Because what are a lot of us going to do tomorrow? We're going to go to work, or you're going to go to school, or you you are going to engage in different activities if you're a retiree or engage certain neighbors, uh, or, or if you're at home, you'll be with your kids or taking care of loved ones if you're in a caregiving capacity. But we're going to return to regular life. But we know that Jesus calls them when they're at work. And so what would it look like for Jesus to come say, come come follow me? You know, what would it look like at at work? You know, Jesus says, hey, come come follow me. You know, I I want to help you think about the, the vision and the, the, the values and the mission of your organization, this, this place that you help lead at, where maybe you're an executive at this place or you're, you know, you're, you're a leader there, a manager there. I, you know, hey, you know, let, me, let me show you how to make those things align with my values, with my heart. Or, or, or maybe you take care of people. Maybe you're in the medical profession and, and Jesus says, hey, come follow me. You know, I'm inviting you into this experience where you can care for the whole person. And you're involved in the, just the, the healing ministry of God. And Jesus says, hey, let me, let, me, let me give you insight about how to care and how to heal this person. Maybe it looks like whatever office environment you're in, maybe Jesus is saying, hey, come follow me. I want to help you uh, be, be, a, be a change maker, be intentional about changing things in this culture, dysfunction or dealing with conflict or whatever it is. How can the life of the kingdom just break into that place where you know things are not as they should be? Or if you're a student, you know, Jesus says, hey, come follow me. You know, study, study to my glory. Don't study for the grade. 
You know, Jesus might say to you, hey, just take advantage of this opportunity to explore my world, to ask questions, to gain wisdom, to learn, to grow, to think critically, to apply yourself, whether it's academically or it's with your hands as you're learning a trade. Jesus says, hey, come follow me as you go to school. Or you're at home with your kids. Maybe you're at home taking care of folks at home. And Jesus says, hey, come, come follow me. I, you know, let me partner with you. Let me show you how to care for their hearts in this season. Let me, let, let me show you how to invest in them. Let me show you the spiritual authority that you have in your home to bring me in. Jesus says, come follow me. If you're caregiving, if you're taking care of vulnerable people, you know, who, who need your love and, and your attention at home. We remember Jesus' words, Matthew 25, 37 to 40. He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers, you did it for me. So Jesus says, I am partnering with you in this caregiving ministry. Come, follow me. Lastly, if you're, if you're retired, if you've got some free time, maybe a little extra free time, a little more free time than you'd like in COVID, you know, Jesus says, hey, I'm not done with you yet. Come follow me. I want to show you your people. I want to show you the people you can invest in. Who's your community? You have wisdom. You have experience. You have life to share with others. Come follow me. Tell others of the wonders of God that I've done in your life. So wherever God's called you, God wants his break, his kingdom in there. But like the disciples, my prayer for me, my prayer for you is that we would be quick to obey, quick to say yes, like the disciples, because the kingdom has come. Let's follow the king. Let us pray. Lord, we acknowledge your call today, Lord. Some of us, you're calling for the first time, others for the thousandth time. But Lord, we, we want to respond to you. We want to say yes to you. Thank you, God, for all the possibilities now by your spirit. Help us to follow you, God. Follow you, Jesus, where you've called us. Give us a new vision. Give us a refreshed vision and sense of calling for where we live, work, and play. And we long for your kingdom to come as we pray every Sunday. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. We want to follow you, King Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.